Let's, let's give it up for Nadia one more time. So I just want to say, hopefully without getting choked up, that uh, I made the right hire. And uh, Nadia is doing a fantastic job already. And um, her specific leadership this week um, pushed kids from being spectators to participants, from sitting in their seats to coming up to the front and leaning into the presence of God. And um, Nadia, I appreciate you so much um, for the impact that you already had on our students, but on my own children. Um, I'm forever grateful and love and appreciate you. Let's give it up for her one more time. It was an incredible camp, so powerful. Um, This year was a unique experience for me. One of the things that I realized at camp was um, I was, I knew it before, you know, it's one of those things, you know, and then, you know, and it was just, just the, the recognize the, that I recognize that we're in a war zone and that the battle for our youth is very dark and very powerful. And within, uh, the, I think it was the second, the second service, um, there was a young man there that actually began to manifest demons. And uh, I was able, me and a team of people were able to actually uh, perform some deliverance ministry with this young man. And what we were dealing with was something I had never encountered before in my life. We were dealing with a young man that had uh, generational curses from Satanism in his family line and had actually made a deal with the devil to sell his soul. And how many of you know that God's grace and God's power is greater than any deal that some child makes in his foolishness. And so by the power of Jesus Christ and by his blood, we broke this contract and he was set free. He was delivered. And tonight he is testifying at his youth group in the East Valley about how God set him free. Can we just give God some praise one more time? As crazy and as powerful as this war zone is, I was reminded that every demon in hell trembles at the name of Jesus. Every demon in hell is tormented by his presence, and God has the power to set us free no matter how far we've fallen away. So I'm continuing today a series, this is part five of a series called Rhythm. And when I introduced this series, we uh, talked about how every living thing is growing, right? And if you're not growing, you're dying. And we described kind of how growth takes place in something like a plant, for instance. And what happens is the cells begin to transfer energy or uh, transfer different things into energy. That energy gets transferred to growth until finally the cells begin to expand. Then the cells duplicate itself. It copies its DNA until finally the cells split into two. And this multiplication process continues to happen. It's a rhythm of growth in living things. And how similarly, there is a rhythm of growth in us spiritually. And there's these seven rhythms that we're going through week by week that need to continue to be spinning like a wheel in order for us to continue to live and continue to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. And so that's why they're called rhythms because they must be so much more than events in our life. 
but they have to become disciplines. They have to become patterns in our life. And so today we are on part five, and we're going to talk about the rhythm of sacrificial generosity. The rhythm of sacrificial generosity. Sometimes greed and money have an unhealthy hold on our lives, and it is only through generosity that we can be freed of that hold. I remember as a young boy, we were riding in the back of the pickup truck. You remember when you used to do that before it was like you're a terrible parent for letting your kids ride in the back of the pickup truck? There's no seatbelts back there. And we were riding in the back of the pickup truck, and we uh, lived in this small town, which you hear me talk about all the time, but to get down there, there's these crazy switchbacks. It's a two-lane highway. You got to slow down sometimes to like almost five miles per hour to make these corners. And we were sitting in the back of the truck with our dog... Casper, who was a white boxer with like a black patch on his eye, coolest dog ever. And we had him chained to the back of the truck so that he wouldn't jump out. Well, guess what happened? He jumped out. And not only did he jump out, but he was still attached to this chain. And so we began to drag him for who knows how long before my sister and I were able to get my dad's attention banging on the back of the window. Finally, he slams on the brakes. But by then, a lot of damage had already been inflicted on this poor dog. And we got him up back into the back of the bed, and he was just red everywhere from blood. And some of his fur had been stripped off. And sorry if this is too graphic for you guys, uh, but long story short, he was okay. He recovered, and he healed But it was so traumatic for us to watch, feeling completely helpless to do anything about it until finally my dad realized what was going on and he hit the brakes. And what's crazy is we put that chain on him for the purpose of security. And yet it was almost the result of his end. And so this chain has served an important role in his life because we didn't want him to just jump out. Maybe he would have jumped out and fallen off the edge of a cliff if it wasn't for this chain. But in this instance, the attachment was also causing him harm. See, if if Casper had had a hold of it, he could have let it go and minimized the damage. But since it had a hold of him, it began to destroy him. And I want to tell you this morning that money and greed work the same way. Money is useful for providing our basic needs and wants, but if it has a hold on us, it can destroy us. And I believe that many times Christians fall into this place and this position in life where we're clinging to money as our ultimate hope while it simultaneously beats us to death and beats our brains in. See, greed is a threat to all of us, and there's different levels of greed. And you don't have to be filthy rich to be greedy, amen? Uh, you, don't, you don't have to um, even feel like you're super materialistic to be suffering from the effects of greed. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But greed comes at us at all different stages in life, too. Have you noticed that? Students, do you ever suffer with greediness sometimes? Right? Uh, wanting everything for yourself, not wanting your siblings to have any of it, regardless of whether it's fair or not. Right? And you're willing to take it when they're not looking. Right? Or as you go a little bit older, um, what happens is maybe your parents start to give you an allowance or they just give you money um, so you can go out and have fun with your friends. And it creates something that we call expendable income, which is why so often students are tar- targets of marketing because they have expendable 
income. And so what that means is they have a source of income, but no real responsibilities or bills. And so they can spend it however they please to spend it. And so what happens is they can become a little selfish. Amen. All the teenagers in the room say, oh, me. Okay. And so that can create a lack of satisfaction where you're always wanting more. You always want the latest iPhone right? You always want the latest technology. You always want the, the, the newest pair of Jordans, whatever it is. And you can become materialistic. And so you can start to put your worth in your possessions and your clothes and your looks. And it can lead to a stage in life where you feel like you must keep up an image. And maybe you're afraid to take off your mask because you're always worried about what people are thinking about you. And so you feel like you have to put on this facade. And what happens as a result of that, you suffer. And in fact, sometimes you miss out on real meaningful relationships because you're constantly playing this game of how will people perceive me. And adults, we are not uh, immune to this either. Uh, Oftentimes, I, I find that adults are wanting to make up for everything they never had as a child. And in the name of providing for their children a better life, oftentimes they will live outside of their means. They will go into debt. They will begin to charge everything. And then they find themselves working extra hours just to be able to make the minimum payment and maintain this lifestyle, but they're in over their head, all in the name of family, when in reality they're denying their family what their family needs the most, the presence of their parents. And the more you get, the tighter you tend to hold on to it. Have you ever noticed that? You know, sometimes I think we are under this delusion that if we had more, we would become more generous. But history proves otherwise and experience proves otherwise that oftentimes the more we get, the tighter we hold on to it. And finally, it comes to a point where it masters us. Somebody once said, Money is a wonderful tool, but a terrible master. I'll say that again. Money is a wonderful tool, but a terrible master. I've seen God do beautiful things through the generosity of other people and take money and do things to advance the kingdom of God. But money, when it becomes a master, can wreak some pretty terrible havoc upon a person's life. And so we want to open up our conversation at our tables with this question. How have you seen money as a wonderful tool, and how have you seen it used as a terrible master? Okay, so let's discuss at our tables, and then we're going to get into God's Word. All right. All right, hopefully you had some great discussion at your table. I want to point something out before we go back into the message. Just a little reminder, we've been printing these for you. Uh, If you have one of these, hold it up and let me see it. Okay, so I I want you to be reminded of what these are for. These are for you, whether you are in a life group or not. But we encourage you to take notes and to take these home. And there's some questions you'll find on there. Uh, and it, what it is, is a tool and it's an opportunity to go deeper into God's word. 
by asking you applicational questions which force you to just really zero in on what the Holy Spirit would be saying to you through today's message. And so we just invite you to use this as a part of your daily uh, devotionals. And of course, if you're in a group, this will be your discussion guide for when you guys meet together. But we want to just remind you that this is for everybody to make use of. And I believe if we do, we'll be blessed and enriched because of it. You know, some, someone said that greed is like a sickness. And you know, when you get a sickness, it comes with symptoms, right? And uh, you don't just have the flu, right? But when you have the flu, it's usually accompanied with fever and chills and body aches and perhaps uh, stomach nausea and things like that. Um, And when you have greed, there are symptoms of that greed that produce some of the world's most horrific atrocities. Um, And give you a couple examples. The Holocaust. Have you ever stopped to think how much greed played a role in the Holocaust? According to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, it talks about what people gained through this terrible genocide. It says, gain came in many forms and dimensions, the systematic plunder of Jewish assets in Germany and German-occupied Europe by agents of the Nazi regime has been well documented. For ordinary individuals, gain included the acquisition of material possessions either bought at a large discount at auctions or looted after the owners disappeared. Household linens, furniture, clothing, dishes, farm animals, the emptied farmhouse, apartment itself, it included businesses bought at less than fair market or reduced competition because of the liquidation of Jewish-owned businesses. So you have the Holocaust, and you see how greed tied into that. Then there was the Atlantic slave trade, which eventually brought slaves here to the United States. And in an article on Santa Clara University's website, it reads, In today's dollars, England's gross margin from the Atlantic slave trade was roughly 12 million U.S. dollars, billion, sorry, billion U.S. dollars. It was this extraordinary level of profit that led Europeans and devout Christians to sideline their morals. Now, we might argue on that word devout, right, Um, because of where their heart was, but these were self-professing Christians that lived at least an outward appearance of a godly lifestyle and greed was such a such an aggressive and destructive disease that it cost them it caused them to sideline their principles and their morals and values while they overlooked these horrible atrocities that were happening not only under their watch but sometimes at their hand how many of you think greed is something we should take seriously And so there's a very, very effective cure for greed. When you have a a virus, when you have the flu, there's different things you can do to treat that sickness. And the most effective way to treat greed is generosity. Generosity is not just the opposite of greed, but generosity is a practice or a rhythm that we put into practice in our life that can begin to root all greed out of our hearts. 
You were picking on students earlier for how you guys can become greedy with your expendable income. But here's something so amazing about students is uh, through an organization called Speed the Light, Students give up things like Starbucks or new clothes or new phones, and they can take that expendable income and they give it to advance the gospel all over the world. Now, listen to this. Since its beginning, over $300 million have been raised for missionary equipment around the world through Speed the Light. That is 100% from students raising and giving these funds. Can we just give it up for how God can use our young people? Now listen, every year and every week at youth camp, there is a special Speed the Light offering. And on the final day, there's a special uh, worship gathering where we pause to talk about Speed the Light. And students have the opportunity, and our students stepped up in a big way. And many of them took the remaining money that they brought for the snack shack and took that and instead put it in the offering to go towards Speed the Light. This year, Speed the Light has a focus on um, impacting the foster care crisis in the state of Arizona. And so students were inspired and compelled by God to give towards this initiative. And this week, our camp alone gave over $3,000 to combat this crisis in our state. For adults, generosity works the same way. You have an opportunity, and it can begin with the tithe. Maybe you're not a tither right now, but you say, I want to step into faithfully tithing to the church. You can begin to give in missions or to increase your missions giving. Um, We have a heart for missions here at the fountain. Amen, Esther. And we believe that the gospel is for across the street and around the world. We have a particular focus where we try to uh, support workers that are taking the gospel where it is not easily accessible. And so um, we have an opportunity that if our church rises up with even more generosity and missions, we can expand uh, the work that is happening in some of these most difficult areas. On top of that, there's opportunities to be generous throughout your everyday life. Maybe it's becoming a better tipper. Maybe it's helping your neighbors in need. But here's something that happens when you begin to operate out of generosity. Your vision gets larger. You connect to your purpose. You learn the blessing of giving, that that statement in Acts is true, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you free yourself from greed and fear. Which I believe those two things are very closely tied. And it's a question you guys will get to discuss in your groups this week. How are greed and fear connected? And so where do I start? If I want to become generous and I want to practice generosity, where do I start? Well, how about the tithe? How about starting with the tithe? I want to talk to you just for a few moments about the biblical principle of the tithe. This comes out of a, something called a first fruits principle, and it's found in Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, where God says, bring the best, somebody say best, of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And so beyond the law of God, the first fruits is a principle and not only is, is the tithe written into the law of Moses, but this is a law in the sense of when we talk about the laws of nature, right? It's just something that naturally happens. What goes up must come down, 
right? And then there's this law of sowing and reaping. And this is something that God has instituted from creation that when we bring our first fruits, a blessing follows. And so the principle of first fruits is a mindset and a starting point for all believers. And too often, though, we are content as Christians to offer God only what we feel we can spare. We offer God what we have left over after we have taken care of all of our needs. But what God is specifically asking from you and me, whether it's your time, talents, or treasure, is your first and your best. And so what happens so often is, is we live our lives with this spare change mentality um, that God asks for our complete devotion, but what we offer him is our spare time. He gives us gifts that are to be used for ministry, but what we do instead is we use them for ourselves and our own glory, and what we offer him is our spare parts. God calls for sacrificial generosity, but we end up just bringing him our spare change. That which doesn't really hurt to give, that which doesn't really cost us anything. And so the tithe, there's, there's a debate that's been going on for a very, very long time whether tithing is just an Old Testament uh, principle or if it's a New Testament principle. Is the Christian still required to tithe is a question that has been debated for the longest time. And I just want to challenge you right off the bat and say, that's not even the question you should be asking. If you're asking that question, oftentimes it reveals something about your heart that you need to allow God to deal with. And so unfortunately, we have begun to treat tithing with a spare change mentality. What we're saying is I'll give up to 10% when I can afford it, but never anymore. And so we see tithe as the cap, as the limit, when in reality, the way that it was introduced was to simply be the starting point. So what is the tithe and what is its purpose? Well, first of all, the earliest example of this we see is found when Abram gives a sacrifice of a tenth of everything he owned to God. We can't find anywhere where God asks it or requires it, but Abram offers it to him. And so this principle seems to have pre-existed before this uh, event took place. But it was instituted by God in part to take care of the Levites, who were devoted to the service of God. So the Levites were kind of like the the pastors or the worship pastors of the church in the time. And so it was instituted to help them out. Here's an example. It's in Numbers chapter 18, looking at verses 19 and then 21. It says, yes, I am giving you, and he's talking to the Levites, all these holy offerings that the people of Israel bring to the Lord. They are for you and your sons and daughters to be eaten as your permanent share. This is an eternal and unbreakable covenant between the Lord and you. And it also applies to your descendants. And it goes on to say in verse 21, As for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. And if we look at Malachi chapter 3, we see that not only is this a command, but there is a blessing and a promise attached to it. Malachi 3.10, you guys should be pretty familiar with this one. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple if you do. Says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. 
I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And I'm sure you've heard pastors say in the past, this is the only command where we are given to actually put God to the test. It's the only place you can find in scripture where God says, try me, see what happens. It's almost like he's saying, I dare you to start tithing. I dare you to begin there and to surrender that to me. And as your heart becomes more generous, watch what I'll do. I'll show you that I will bless you. What an incredible promise. And so from the beginning, this command has come with an incredible promise, a blessing too large for us to contain. The only way to respond to this blessing, I believe, is to give more. He doesn't say that you'll have all this extra so that you could just store it up for yourself. But what he wants to do is to continue to bless us to be a blessing. Now, unfortunately, the state of the American church when it comes to tithing um, is at an all-time low. Some have said that the tithing generation has come and gone. And so what's happening now is the church looks for other ways to fund their ministry. And so the church has had to become very creative. One of the ways that we've become creative here, and there's nothing wrong with this, right, from from this standpoint, that let's use our creativity and let's allow God to provide from different areas. But a lot of our provision is now coming from this lease we have with the school that meets in our building next door. And so some of that can be set aside to be used for operations and things like that, but we also have to be setting that aside so that we can put it back into the building. We can steward the property that God has given us. And so what happens, though, in so many churches is that most churches, listen to this, in most churches, over 90% of the tithe, which again, tithe, in case you didn't know, it's not just another word for offering. Tithe actually means a tenth. And so if you say, I tithe, what you're saying is I give 10% of my income back to the church, okay? And so it's a return. That's something Joseph said in our rooted group last week. It's not, it's not something you give, it's something you return, right? Because it all belongs to God. He gives us 100 and we say, take 10 back as a step of faith, as, a, as an act of, of gratitude as well. And so listen, over 90% of tithes, in most churches, goes to salaries and facilities. 90%, okay? So what happens is that leaves a lot of churches to be very internally focused. And when the thought comes to to reach out to the community and the neighborhood as they feel the limits of the finances of the church, they tend to focus on what happens inside these four walls. Now, how many of you know that's not what the fountain is about? Amen? The fountain has a much greater vision for that. God's vision for this church is way bigger than what happens here on a Sunday morning. And we want to get to a point where more and more of our offerings make it into the community and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. If you agree with that, say amen. So this morning, I want to talk to you about true wealth. Because true wealth, according to scripture, is knowing God and making him known. But many of us suffer under the suffocating weight of greed and or fear, the fear of not having enough. Have you ever felt that before? Can we just be real honest this morning? Raise your hand if you've ever been afraid you won't have enough. You're not alone. Look around. 
We've experienced, we've had that. Uh, a pastor friend of mine once said this, and I steal it and say it all the time. He says, don't be worried about not making enough, but be worried about not making enough of a difference. Because those are truly the things that make us rich. And so I want to talk to you this morning about overcoming the chains of greed through generosity. How generosity will free you up to step into the true life that God has for you. And so I want to invite you to stand real quick and grab your Bibles. And we're going to remind ourselves of the authority of God's word, that this is inspired by him and it is for us today. And so uh, look on your screens if you'll read along with me on the count of three. One, two, three. This is my Bible. It is God's word. When I read it and live it, I will become everything it says that I am. Now remain standing. And if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. If you've got a paper Bible, it's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Luke chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. If you're there, say yes. Okay, that sounds like most of you, so I'm going to start reading. Verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you? to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Somebody say, First world problems. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back. Somebody say, sit back. And say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Yikes. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Father, thank you for your word. Illuminate it to our hearts today as we dive deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Wow, what a story, right? So now that we've established the principle of first fruits, what I want to talk to you about this morning is what do we do with the extra? I'm going to say that again. What do we do with the extra? Some of you are thinking to yourself, what extra, right? If that's you, raise your hand. Be real. Be real. What extra? What are you talking about, Joe? See, there's a reason why I use the word extra this morning and not the word wealth, because the truth is, uh, 98% of statistics are made up on the spot, right? But we'll say 98% of Americans, I think, believe that they are not wealthy, regardless of their financial situation. But what we all have, at least at periods and times and seasons, is extra. 
And what I mean by extra is I want to define extra as anything, even if it's just a penny, above all that we need to take care of our daily needs. Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread, right? And, and he, he promises to provide for us. So what do we do with the extra? And so specifically, we're going to deal with three ways that generosity breaks the chains of greed. And number one is this, generosity keeps you leaning on what lasts. Generosity keeps you leaning on what lasts. 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. How many of you have, have experienced the unreliability of money and finances? Okay. Which is so unreliable, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. Proverbs 11.28 says, Trust in your money and down you go. But right li- oh sorry, that's the other one. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Are you, are you catching a theme here throughout the scriptures? Right? Something matters a lot more than the other. Something is, has eternal value and something fades away. And so it's like God is putting uh, worldly wealth on a scale. And on the other side, he's putting on the eternal things. And we can see it's very, very lopsided. But in reality, a lot of us live and operate as if it is lopsided in the other direction. That the end-all, be-all is uh, my money and my financial situation. We put our trust and our hope in that in reality, it's, it's shaky, sinking sand. And so as we go back into this passage in Luke, let me give you a little context. Before this man speaks out from the crowd and wants Jesus to make his brother give... Does this sound familiar to any siblings in the room, right? <laughs> tell David it's my turn on the Xbox, right, David? Um, <laughs> or, t- you know, t- tell Amir, you know, to give me uh, more chips. He, he's hogging the whole bag, right? This is something that sounds very familiar. And yet here's a grown man, and he's asking Jesus to make his brother give him what he wants. Well, here's what's amazing about that. Jesus is having a side conversation with his disciples when this happens. And you know what he's talking about? The kingdom of God. He's talking about the importance of, of um, acknowledging him publicly here on earth so that one day on the day of judgment, his father will acknowledge them publicly in heaven. He's putting things into perspective. And right in the middle of him putting these things in perspective, this man calls out from the crowd. How many of you believe that there's, there's uh, coincidences in scripture? No. Right, this, God, this was a teachable moment right here for the disciples and for everyone watching. And so he pipes up in verse 13 and says, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. See, this question reveals um, so much about this man. Jesus is there preaching the kingdom of God, but this man's sole focus was on his own kingdom. See, greed is a sickness that can preoccupy our mind. And what happens is it can filter out the truth that sets us free. The very thing that we need to receive, we can't receive because our hands are already full. 
we fall into this same trap sometimes that we can come to God preoccupied with the things that will never last and we miss out on the eternal treasures that he offers. You know, sometimes your prayers reveal a lot about where your heart is and it's okay to pray for his provision. I would even say it's okay to pray for some of the desires that you have. But if your prayer doesn't begin and end with not my will, but your will be done, then be careful because as he says to Cain in, um, about Abel, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. And if you allow that to remain, it's going to take over. God says you can't serve two masters. You're going to despise one and love the other. Eventually, there's going to be a choice that takes place. And someone who's truly rich in God will be praying prayers that everything God would use to bring about his will and his kingdom being built up. In verse 14, Jesus responds to this man by saying, who made me a judge over you to decide such things? I think he was addressing something in the culture that day because oftentimes the the teachers of religious law would solve some of these disputes and they would try to use the influence of the teachers in law to get what they wanted. And Jesus was basically saying, you don't even understand why I'm here I'm here not to uh, get you what you want, but in fact to set you free from what it is that you're asking for. You're valuing it too much, and what I offer you is invaluable. I believe it's very frustrating to God when we come to him seeking anything other than his kingdom, because the kingdom is our inheritance. Can you imagine being the father or mother of a child and you have been setting something aside, invaluable for them to inherit one day. And instead, they come asking you about everything else but that. And they despise that. They don't value that. Even though you know it means everything to the success of their future. And yet they want to come and argue about um, having dessert before dinner. You know, it's, it's frustrating as a parent, and it's frustrating to God when we come to him when we don't even understand his heart for us. Revelation reminds us that our inheritance is to rule alongside of him. But the hearts of men are wicked, and we're constantly wanting to rule our own kingdom on our own, independent from God. And so this is why Jesus said, beware. He said, guard against Every kind of greed. I want us to hear the intensity of the statement here. Guard against every kind of greed. That word guard in the Greek uh, refers to a military guard. The root word of that, a military guard. Um, It says preserved by having an eye on. So it's referring to the uninterrupted vigilance that maybe a shepherd shows in keeping their flocks. And so this is constant watching so that you don't become greedy. I want you to think about that. It's, it, this is not just a simple warning not to take up greed, right? Uh, greed isn't just something that you stumble upon and go, oh, I'm going to pick that up and make it a part of my life. But in reality, based on the way we have to guard against it, what this is communicating, this is a type of defense that is only necessary when there is an aggressive threat that tries to advance upon you. 
You don't have to guard a gate against something that's not coming, that it has no threat of penetrating. You don't have to guard the gate if the only temptation is for you to go outside of the gate and then go retrieve it. But in fact, greed is simply something, it's not something to avoid, it's something that aggressively worms its way into our hearts. And with that understanding, we need to uh, treat it very harshly and deal with it decisively instead of saying a certain amount of greed is acceptable in my life, we have to come to the understanding that whatever amount of greed I allow in my life, it will try to take more. You give the devil an inch and he will take a mile. And that's the way that greed works as well. When we entertain greed in our life, it begins to burrow itself deeper within our heart. And Jesus says, life is not measured by how much you own. Life is not measured, or in other words, Life does not exist or consist of the things that you own. This word is derived from the same word used to describe the eternal God as the I am, that word life. And so we too are eternal. Now this word is either eternal or not based on the context. And I think based on the context of this passage, what Jesus is communicating is he's saying your eternal life, your eternal soul can never be measured by temporal things. To understand this is to have an eternal perspective that frees us from the chains of greed. In other words, life cannot be measured by temporary things because those things all come up short because they literally stop short of eternity. Does that make sense? That's the visualization that I want you to understand is is that we tend to measure ourselves and the successes of our life by things that just fall way short of eternity. So how is life measured? Life is measured with things that last. And when we begin to practice generosity, it keeps us leaning on lasting things. Secondly, generosity makes your surplus significant. I love alliteration. Make your surplus significant. And so he asked himself this question that I know you guys are all complaining in your mind, thinking, I wish I had this kind of problem says, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. What should I do with all this extra money? I don't know where to put it. And it's so easy for us to read that and think to ourselves that this doesn't apply to me and just uh, move on. But understand the principle that's being taught here. See, he's saying, what should I do? That's a question every single one of us must ask. What should I do with the extra that God has given me? We're too quick to claim lordship over our extra and spend it and use it however we wish and will without consulting God for what he might to do. Because guess what? Oftentimes God has much bigger plans for our things than we do. Amen? He wants to accomplish something so much greater and so much more rewarding. So what should I do is a question we have to ask. What should we do with the extra? Not not the wealth, but the extra. That which is above what I absolutely need. And this is above the tithe because we've already learned that the tithe is the first fruit, right? That's supposed to be automatic. Like this is my best and this is my first. It belongs to God. This rich man, it's possible he was already a tither because that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the first fruits here, are we? 
He says, what should I do with my extra? What should I do with my abundance? And for some of us, it's hard enough just to bring ourselves to the tithe. But I believe God wants us to answer the question, what should I do with my abundance? And so this is the conclusion he comes to. He says, I know. I will tear down all my barns and build bigger ones. I want to I focus on those first two words, I know. I know. That's where a lot of us go south when it comes to generosity. We think we know. We think we know. And what happens is in human reasoning, we always consider self first. We always consider what is uh, immediately gratifying. And that's why we're reminded in Scripture not to store up treasures for ourselves where moth and rust destroy, but to stir up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Finally, he says this, I'll sit back, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So greed pushed this man into a life of laziness, inactivity, and a lack of purpose. Maybe some of you have seen that happen before in your own life, someone else's life. But generosity as a rhythm has a way of propelling your purpose. Generosity propels your purpose. When it becomes a rhythm, when it becomes a discipline in your life, it stirs things up inside. As it increases your vision, it inspires you, it causes you to dream again, and it stirs up a fire and a passion that propels you forward to say, I wanna do more for God. And if you're someone who has not yet connected with your purpose and you won't understand what you're missing out on. But if you're somebody in the room today that knows that you're living out your purpose in God, then you know the fulfillment that comes along with it. You cannot put a price tag. There's something about, you can experience the presence of God come upon you, but there's nothing like the presence of God flowing through you. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? This is a mindset, though. This whole eat, drink, and be merry, take it easy, it's woven into the American dream. Now, listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with planning your retirement, but I'll tell you this. You might retire from your career, but you're stepping in to God's purpose and destiny for your life. I don't see anywhere in scripture where God has called anyone to take it easy, to eat, drink, and be merry. God's purpose is so much bigger than that. See, there's there's a time of rest that's coming, but it's not now. There's a time of rest that's gonna last for all of eternity. But right now, we're in a war and we're at work and God has a purpose for us to connect to. And so this idea of sitting back and enjoying the easy life is exactly what's condemned here in this story. This thinking short-circuits your purpose connection, dooming you to an unfulfilling life. I want to say this very clearly, church. God's dream is not the American dream. God's dream is so much bigger than that. True life is a life lived on mission. So God's response in this story is very harsh. He says, you fool. Ouch. I don't want God to call me a fool, you know? Uh, we're all gonna stand before him uh, someday, and I think we all desire to hear that familiar phrase, well done, that good and faithful servant, right? I don't wanna hear you fool, 
But he says, you fool, you will die. Then who will get everything you worked for? You know what I love about that question? Is God is not only concerned with your provision, but who else can benefit from it? He's concerned what's going to happen to all those crops and all those possessions after you die. Are they going to sit there and rot? Are they going to go to another greedy person who uses his money to legally seize what you have? Or are they going to get into the hands of the needy, those that aren't uh, richly, as richly blessed as you? What's going to happen to all that that you have? And so what that reminds us is that God has a purpose for every dollar. I gotta say that again, church. God has a purpose for every dollar. And so we need to figure out what that is. When we don't operate out of a generous spirit, we're like the wicked servant that took his master's money and what did he do? He buried it in the, in the ground. And what did the master say to him? He, did, he didn't even get too, too on him too hard for not going and, 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 and investing it and multiplying it like the other servants did, but he said you could have at least put it in a bank where it would collect interest. You need to understand, church, that God wants a return on what he has blessed you with. You know why? Because his heart is a heart of abundance. His heart is for the blessing to continue to go on and on and on. And that's why he requires a return because if there's no return on it, then we miss out on the blessing of being a blessing to others. And so verse 21 says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. See, this attitude that this man had is very short-sighted. And I think when we have this attitude as Christians, then it reveals something that's missing. I think it reveals that we've lost connection to God's purpose for our life. Maybe it reveals a lack of trust in God with our money. And I ask you this morning, does he really have your trust at all? If you don't trust him with your finances and you're living in greed or you're living in fear, worried that you won't make enough, do you really have his trust at all? And let me challenge you with this. Are you telling me that you can trust him with your soul, but you can't trust him with your bank account? Is that what you're telling me? You're telling me that you trust fully in Jesus Christ as your savior to rescue you from hell and to offer you eternal life in heaven, but you can't trust him to tithe. You can't trust him to regularly give and make generosity a rhythm in your life. If you really think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? I wanna challenge you this morning to consider how God may be asking you to step into generosity. I want to invite you to stand with me as we close this morning. There's three ways I want to challenge you this morning. Number one, if you're not yet tithing on a regular basis, and what I mean by that is offering uh, 10% of your income off of every paycheck, then I want to encourage you to pray. And if you feel God challenging you to do that this morning, that you would begin to step into tithing on a regular basis. I wanna challenge you to take an even bigger step of faith by setting it up to be recurring giving through the app 
The reason why I say that is because what that does is it automatically uh, secures the fact that we give our first fruits. And I'll tell you, you will never be as generous as you are when you set up automatic giving because you can just, you don't even count on it being there. You just assume it's going to go where it's supposed to go and God's going to use it for what it's supposed to accomplish. So I challenge you to consider setting up recurring giving through the app. Number two, if you're not yet giving to missions in some capacity, I challenge you to begin to step up and do that. You can give to general missions by designating it uh, through the app or on an envelope. Um, there's opportunities where you could look to support a specific missionary. There's different ways that you can give to missions. Esther would be happy to answer any questions you may have about that. I challenge you to give in missions. And number three, I challenge us as a church to begin to look for opportunities to be generous in everyday life. In other words, did you know that uh, most servers say their, the, their least favorite shift is Sunday afternoons? Because they say that's when all the Christians come out to eat and they're horrible tippers. Should, should that be the case? Are we ever going to be known as a generous uh, people if that's the case? I've even seen pictures of receipts where um, someone uh, didn't leave a tip, but they left a Bible verse. What message are we sending to the world in that scenario? But what if... God began something here in our area that servers in the restaurants around us were fighting over the Sunday afternoon shift because they knew that they were going to be blessed because God's people were going to be coming in, understanding who their provider is, understanding what true riches are, and we're going to bless them and God was going to provide for them through the generosity of Christians in this community. So I challenge you in, in one, if not all of these three areas, to step into a life of generosity. And so here's what we're gonna do. We haven't taken up offering yet, strategically busted, okay? But we're not trying to manipulate anyone or to have anyone give out of compulsion or guilt. But my hope today is that the Holy Spirit would lead you and inspire you to step into a greater purpose for your life through generosity, because I guarantee you God will use it to stir up some incredible transformation in your life. And so I wanna pray over you and the team's gonna lead us in one more song. And just like we would normally do early in the service, I just wanna invite you to come up and use the buckets uh, to give. You're welcome to use the app as well. And of course, if you're watching online, uh, you can use uh, online giving or you can mail checks in to the address that we will put up on the screen. I know they can do that for us in just a minute here. But if you're in the house and you want to come forward during this song, we just want to give you an opportunity. Do it as an act of obedience and worship unto God this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word, Lord, because this word is not about um, the church being in financial need. This word is not about God needing our money because you can't work without it. But instead, this word is an opportunity for us to step into greater freedom and for uh, us to be, uh, become partners in your mission that as we give out of the generosity in our heart, we'll see the love of Christ impacting more people, Lord. Let us be men and women of God that stir up our treasures in heaven today. 
Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to come and worship and give as the team leads us this morning. Father, we know that you are faithful, and we thank you for the promise attached to this rhythm this morning, Lord God. You said, test me in this and see what I'll do. 
See if I'll not provide. See if I'll not bless abundantly. And I thank you for those who responded to your challenge today. Said, God, I'm taking a step of faith, believing you and taking you at your word that you will pour out your blessings. Not so I can just have more, but so you can increase the difference that I'm able to make. We thank you for that, Father. I pray that we would go today in that spirit of generosity. Those of us that are going out to lunch today, I pray that we would bless our servers, not only with a tip, but maybe with a prayer, maybe with a word from God, maybe with a simple word of encouragement, maybe with just expressing gratitude for the wonderful job that they've done, Lord. Let us be a blessing everywhere we go. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. If God is good, can we make some noise for him this morning?